You are listening to Sales Secrets with Gabe Larson. In this episode, we talk to inside sales executive Jim Donovan about his experience on 9-11 and how his life was transformed. I welcome everybody to the Sales Secrets podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about something a little different um, than our normal. Um, I'll get into that in just a second. Let me introduce our esteemed guest. Today, he is Jim Donovan, an inside sales executive. Jeez Louise, this guy's got a fantastic career. But really focused, I think, mostly, although your background had a little bit of finance in it, um, in the inside sales space, which is, for, as we all know, a really hot space. So, Jim, thanks so much for joining. How are you, man? Absolutely. Thanks, Gabe. Great to be here. I really appreciate the time today. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Um, obviously, it's very timely. Um, before we get into the topic, t- can you tell us just a little bit about your background, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'd love to. So I've uh, been about uh, 20 years now in inside sales. I've uh, built out four different shops at uh, a couple different enterprises, including Turner Broadcasting, CBeyond, Earthlink. So some good names. I've had a good <laughs> Hired and fired 1,500 inside sellers, generated over a billion dollars worth of revenue. Um, learned a lot, failed a lot, had a lot of fun. So, <laughs> But it didn't start that way, as you know uh, and mentioned. I used to be an investment banker or aspiring investment banker. And uh, I started out my career as an intern on Wall Street at uh, the Bank of New York on one wall. And uh, I went into a management tra- trainee program after that with J.P. Morgan, where I spent uh, two years going around to uh, different parts of the investment bank. And uh, yeah, I thought I was going to be an investment banker. So yeah, and I don't know if you knew. I mean, we share that. um, You know, I started with Goldman Sachs. um, Spent some time on what was it, thirty fifth and Broad, fifty third and Broad. God, it's been fifteen years. I can't even remember. Somewhere on Broad. (laughs) Anyways, um, uh, I also thought I wanted to be an investment banker, and and I didn't um, after that. But um, that'll kick us into our story. Um, It was at that time. So for those of you who don't know, today is September 11th, and Jim and I were talking about um, the talk track for the episode we wanted to run, and we were talking about different sales things, and we may have to bring Jim back on to go, I mean, 1,500 people in inside sales, a billion in revenue. There's a lot, I think, that Jim can share, but um, with it being today, September 11th, um, God, I was thinking about that day, man. I, everyone can remember where they were. You know, I had I was younger than Jim at the time, so I won't say where, but we all remember where we were. We all remember kind of that experience. And, and as we were talking about sales, we thought, you know what? There's probably a bigger conversation that we could talk about. And Jim had such an interesting story about his September 11th experience and how that shaped his life and ultimately his sales career that I thought we'd go at that direction. So Jim, with that, um, I know you were talking just a little bit about your background in investment banking, but maybe double click on that and focus in on kind of your September 11th experience. and We'll go from there. I will. And just, you know, for any listeners today, I think the reason I'm open to sharing this is because it's really about transformation. And when, when I've been out there talking to a lot of different companies lately about uh, my background and my skills, one of the things that has shined through is being vulnerable and sharing this part of my background and this yeah. part of my story has connected them to me in a way that, uh, you know, is helpful, is powerful. So, um, so I was, you know, on a track to be an investment banker. I was hired by JP Morgan. Um, I spent uh, two years in the training program with about 40 other folks. And uh, oddly enough, on September 10th, we actually all gathered on the steps of the World Trade Center to take a photo as a graduating class. No way. 
No way. That's the last uh, living photo of the trade Of us. Yeah, we're all standing there bright-eyed uh, in our suits. On September 10th? You're kidding. Oh, that's, that's crazy, crazy, man. The World Trade Center. We were going to graduate on September 11th. All of our families were going to come in for the uh, graduation ceremony. And then from the graduation, you know, you got placed based on how you ranked in the program. So, um, you know, we were just very young, uh, 21, very just eager and excited at the time. So, um I had a corporate apartment in Battery Park that J.P. Morgan had furnished me with. And, um, you know, as, as was part of my uh, routine, I would get up and run from that corporate apartment in Battery Park down the southern tip of Manhattan. And then I would end at the Marriott uh, that was actually in between the World Trade Center towers. So not a lot of people knew this, but there was a Marriott hotel that actually joined the towers at the base. And so, I, you know, I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware. So I actually would finish my run at that Marriott Tower, and I would go up to the top uh, roof deck of the Marriott where there was a gym. It was the hotel gym. Yes. And I would swim laps on the top of that swimming pool. And that was probably right around 6.50, 7 o'clock in the morning. So I swam laps on the top of the Marriott and flipped over on my back, and there's a glass atrium, and I can see both towers just towering over me at around 7 a.m. So I get out of my, the pool at around 7.15, and I, uh, I run back to my corporate apartment, throw my suit on. And this is now on September 11th. This is the 11th. Oh, this is the morning of September 11th. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Take sort of through uh, my you know, 10 minutes worth of my experience. I won't give you all the details just so I, <laughs> I don't start crying like a blabber. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Um, so it's September 11th. I go swimming on the roof of the uh, Marriott in between the two towers, I get out of the pool, I go back to my corporate apartment across the street in Battery Park, put my suit on, and as you know, a requirement for any aspiring investment banker is to get a shoe shine. Mm. So um, I would you know, cross the street back over to the World Trade Center, I would walk into uh, you know, to the mall level, which again, a lot of people don't understand how the towers were built, but when you came in under the path trains, you actually would come up these giant escalators and go past multiple levels of mall, which had a gap, a banana republic, oh, wow. an Aubon Pond, where I had breakfast every morning, uh, and then a place to get my shoes shined. And so it was there that I actually saw one of my classmates, who unfortunately uh, died, uh, a classmate of mine from Villanova, Matt, who I never saw again. I saw him in line at that Aubon Pond that morning. And then I went and got my shoes shined. And uh, while I was getting the shoe, my shoes shined, that was when all the mayhem began. So, so that would have been about, about what time, you know, breakfast, 8, 8 a.m., 9, 9, 9, 30. Mind you, no idea of what's happening, right? We yeah. experience kind of a jolting. Uh, the gentleman shining my shoes looks at me, um, we kind of think to ourselves, gosh, did a path train just derail? Because that's kind of what it felt like. Is that, that's where your mind went. It didn't go to necessarily earthquake or something like that. It was more like train, train maybe. The only possibility was below. Um, you know, there was oh, yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, okay, it, that makes it was sense. The 1993 bombing. There was not, never anything in our mind that it was a bomb at that moment. It just felt like it was underneath me, not above me. Yeah. I was out quickly, though. Um, you know, he finished my shine, which was awkward. Another 90 seconds of <laughs> shining, just kind of looking at each other. Um, but I left the towers not really knowing what happened at all. I actually walked out pretty quickly thereafter because I kind of had an instinct that something felt weird. And I walked to Chase Plaza, where I was actually set to meet my colleagues. I walked right past... Uh, there was on the corner there a, a, a Brooks Brothers uh, retail shop okay. and all the, the guys playing chess right there. And then right there was Chase Plaza. And uh, I was in Chase Plaza when, you know, we started to get, uh, started to see some papers flying by and 
started to hear rumors that a plane had left Teterboro and, and hit one of the towers. And but you couldn't see. You, I mean, you looked up. You're not seeing the. I, I there's no reason to, you know, like at this point, it just sounds and seems like there was a car accident. If that's an okay enough of an explanation, it yeah. was a bang, but it's New York City, you know. So, um, so I walk over to the Chase Towers, and uh, I'm I'm there with my colleagues when the the security guards basically are telling us that they're going to have to lock us into the floor that we're on, and we see this happening and we go into the glass vestibule and say, you know what? No, we're going to get on this elevator and get out of this Chase Plaza building. We want to go downstairs and, and be with everybody else and see what's going on. So um, we were downstairs outside the Chase Plaza building on Fulton street when we saw uh, so on the street, right? You didn't go underneath then again. You just, you stayed kind of on street level. No, we just came down now out of the Chase towers. And now we're on the street level. Okay. Um, I'm with about a half a dozen colleagues and we're, you know, I'm young again, so I was making bad decisions. So I was smoking cigarettes. So we're <laughs> smoke because we're stressed and we're not sure what's going on. A handful of us have cells, cell phones. Um, I actually got a, a random cell phone call from my father who was emphatic that uh, I get out of there. He knew where I was and he knew that he was watching and coverage of what was going on. He said, I need you to get out uh, away from I said, well, you know, they, they've just attacked the Pentagon. They're going after the White House. And they're obviously where you are. You need to get out of there. And I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what's going on. So, so my uh, colleagues and I. So you, at this point, though, your father knows from the news, you don't know what's going on. They don't have it like on the TVs in, in Times Square or something at this point. Or Interesting. In the conference center that we were in, there was actually flat screen televisions. And I got to bring everybody back to 2001. <laughs> flat screen in 2001 is rare, right? Yeah. So imagery is the helicopter of the tower, but no connection to why there's, you know, a plane that's just gone through the tower yet. We're still in limbo realizing that we're under a terrorist attack. We're on Fulton street watching the towers when we see what are now objects falling from the towers. Um, And, you know, we wanted to believe those were things like desk chairs and, and, and items that were being thrown through the windows. But ultimately what we came to realize was in some cases it was desk chairs. In some cases it was people. So we stood there on Fulton street and realized what we were looking at and said, you know what, let's walk to South street seaport because this doesn't look good. Let's go to South street seaport and we'll be safe there for a second. So, so just real quick though. So you're, and you, you would, so you're with your colleagues still. Um, cause I just don't want to skip over the chair part. Cause that, that, was wow um so you're on the streets and you're seeing what appears to be chairs flying out of the window didn't you have an interaction you had mentioned i think the other day there was an interaction you were there was a not a colleague but a woman sitting next to you or something and why why, why are the chairs flying out or something well you know one of the other things she said to me that was really remarkable we we were watching after we realized it wasn't a chair and we could see that we were quite certain is that what i i think it is you know did i see what i just think I saw. And she said to me, you know, that woman was lucky. And I looked at her very confused. I said, why? And she said she was wearing a denim skirt. And I didn't understand what she meant, but the denim skirt had flown up around her as she was falling. And she said, you know, at least in a denim skirt, she didn't know when she was going to hit. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, this is this is where we are right now, right? This is as good as things are getting at the moment. So so this is like the moment, because I'm wondering when that moment of like, holy beep, you know, it was like, well, this is real. I'll tell you. So, so we're at Stratton South Street Seaport. 
Um, and rumors are rampant, right? Um, uh, Spike Lee is filming a film and it's all fine. It's just a, a film stunt is one thing. Uh, it's, it's a political stunt was very popular rumor as well because papers were flying everywhere. And so I actually still have paper reams of paper that I picked up that have Cantor Fitzgerald accounting statements on top of them because I picked up the paper because I needed to see, is this a political stunt? And it wasn't. And I, I remember putting it away because I was like, oh, I'll, I'll look at this later. Um, and the last rumor was that there was a bomb on the plane. And so, you know, while that was silly, we were all talking, all of us, all the, you know, all, everybody from everywhere was communicating with one another very nicely, might I add. And they said, oh, there's a bomb on the plane. And we were at South Street Seaport. So somebody said, hey, well, good. If a bomb goes off, we'll just jump right here in the river and we'll be okay. And they weren't from there. You know, if you've lived in anywhere, in New York City, I, I, I said, listen, don't, don't get in the water. The bomb goes off. We're safer dealing with the bomb. <laughs> Please do not get in the water. Yeah, that's right. So about a moment later, about a minute or two after that, not in our view, because at this point we're in South Street Seaport, so we cannot see it. The second plane hits hits the South Tower, or yeah, hits the South Tower, and uh, that was it. At that point, we knew, um, okay, this is not an accident. This is not a political stunt. We need to go, go, go. Um, we made a wrong turn. We thought at first we might head to the Staten Island Ferry. And then we, we said, you know what? No, no, no. Somebody had a hotel room in Midtown yeah. and we just to get to that hotel room in Midtown. And so we actually had to go back past the towers. Yeah. You know, at this point, you know, we're dealing with the smoke and the soot and mayhem, basically. Um, and I'll never forget, too, there was somebody that was screaming as we got closer to Alphabet City, somebody that would scream, hand, hand. And if you put your hand up, they would actually slap a wet paper towel into your hand. And that was the only way you could really breathe was to take that wet paper towel and put it over your mouth because otherwise you were just breathing in, you know, the, the soot, the, the, the dust. And it was, this is the tower, the tower hadn't already fallen, had it, or it had, no, this was, so this was just from the collision and the smoke really was kind of the. Yeah. We're still close to the towers around nine fifteen, nine thirty is when we're still kind of moving our way North towards alphabet city away from the towers. Yeah. We went to a couple convenience stores, got ourselves some 40 ounces of beer. Again, it's the end of the world now at this point. So we think we might as well get drunk. We might as well. You're not thinking I need to get out of the city. Like we should get out. We're, we're with thousands of people trying to get out of the city, but you know, some folks went Brooklyn, right? They went over the Brooklyn bridge and they went that way. Um, we decided to head north towards Central Park because we were so afraid of all the planes flying overhead that we thought from Central Park we could see where the next plane might land. That was and how do, you, how do you make that decision? I mean, was, there's a group of 12 colleagues and they're like, do we go to Brooklyn? Do we go to Central Park? Do we run to the towers? Uh, you know, yeah. like- well, people splintered off. Um, there was only six of us, but you know, it was bigger in the beginning and people made different decisions. Um, we ultimately decided on Midtown and Central Park because one of our colleagues had a, a room, I believe at the Park Central Hotel is where we Got ended it. up. We were a couple nights together crammed in a room. Um, and so we decided collectively, okay, you know, that, that will at least be a place that we can ride this out because at that point, airspace was closed. Oh, yeah. Leaving Manhattan. Nobody was leaving anywhere. <laughs> um, and so we, we start making our way to the, the hotel. And, and this is where it's very interesting also. We, we get to the Park Central Hotel I'll spare you all the details about watching the tower fall in Alphabet City and, you know, all of us crying and, and, and the drama. But 
We get to, sorry, you, what, you, what do you mean you can't, you can't skip that part? I mean, what, what, what's the 30 second on that? I mean, you're, you're literally trying to get to the hotel. And I, then... because I, I think it was more scary for me what happened next. Um, Got it. So we, we did see the towers fall. We, we actually rounded uh, right to a perfect view of them falling. No way, man. You saw that. Holy cow. Because as they were falling, it was almost a surge of sound that came from it happening, including the people, right? So it was like a wave of everybody going, oh my God, it's actually happening. And you, you can hear that scream almost before you saw the towers fall. And so we rounded a, around the corner of the convenience store and we squared off and looked at them for the last time before they just disappeared underneath each other. And we, you know, from that point forward, we were speechless. I mean, from, from Alphabet City to Midtown, it was going to take us a while to walk it now because of how crowded the streets were and, and just how dumbfounded we were. But was, it, was it mayhem at this point? I mean, were people just running and screaming like this is a Hollywood movie or it was mostly just silence and people going walking as quick as they could? Like, what was that? Amazing. I mean, it was like this instant energy of heroism and, and uh, just everybody instantly was taking care of each other and, and grasping hands and hugging and helping each other instantly. I mean, I so much so actually let me get to the hotel so we get to the hotel we're, we're in the lobby of the hotel we're, we're having you know again another drink and we're thinking to ourselves okay maybe maybe we've made it to a safe place when all of a sudden somebody runs into the entrance of the hotel and mind you this hotel is right near grand central station okay. and they start screaming there's a bomb there's a bomb there's a bomb in the starbucks what are they talking about? There's a bomb in Starbucks. So there's a giant Starbucks right next to the hotel in Grand Central Station. Okay. And for whatever reason, something had happened that sent everybody running out of there. And then somebody decided to come into our hotel and tell us so we could all get out of there. And they tell like 50 to 70 people in the lobby of a hotel screaming that we need to get out of there because there's a bomb. Right. And I'll never forget this great police officer stood up and he stood on top of all the stairs and the railings and he said, people, people. The White House, the World Trade Center, and a Starbucks? <laughs> I don't think so. You know, and it was like, oh, thank God for this. Book. You're kidding. That's you know, awesome. It was great. It was such logic and needed comic relief in that moment, but it didn't matter. We all ran out of that hotel as if the bomb was coming anyway. I mean, oh, really? It didn't stop the mass. It's too much mass hysteria. It was too much hysteria. So. From there, we ran to the Plaza Hotel. Um, the bartenders there were serving us, you know, again, as if it was the end of the world. So a couple shots of Jaeger, had another cocktail. What do you drink? That's so fun. It's such added, interesting added commentary. I mean, I'm not going to be to be offensive, but I love the, so we went and we took another drink. It's like, what? why are you taking drinks at the end of the world? But if you think it's the end of the world, I get it, I guess, right? It's kind of like it's all coming down, man. Yeah, that's it. So, And then from there, you know, a little bit, inebriated and feeling a little warmer we all hobbled over to central park and we laid in the grass and we played i spy together for the next two hours until we felt safe enough to go back to the hotel and, and how busy how busy was central i mean was it tons of people as well or people running around or people it was a lot of people's plans a lot of a lot of new york was in the park um you know looking up and surveying the sky and oh there goes a jet and you know after the, all the commercial liners came down. It wasn't as scary, but every time you saw a jet fly over for the next, you know, 24, 36 hours, you were certain that you should duck and something was coming. So. Interesting. And, and from Central Park, though, you couldn't see, I mean, I guess both towers were potentially 
down at this point. So this was more just kind of surveying the sky over that area, like what's happening, because there must have been helicopter news camera. You know, there was a, still a ton of action, right? I don't remember, you know, I don't remember helicopters or anybody having access to airspace other than the, 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 the Air Force. At that the point. military at that point, that's probably. Yeah. Um, no, we, you know, we spent, um, we spent a couple of days locked up in the hotel and, and you're right. I mean, all you experienced from that point forward was um, the smell of the towers and the, and, you know, the leftover um, debris, basically. Mm. I had to check back down to Battery Park to go get my, what was left of my belongings from that corporate apartment. Um, and that was just, um, that was, I think, the scariest thing, to go back past Ground Zero. Wow. Um, September, I guess I went September 13th back to Ground Zero. Um, and so that was still, I mean, the, the cleanup hadn't even begun. I mean, they were still just trying to fires were still burning um the smoke was still churning yeah it was it was it was wild i i got on a plane out of newark airport on friday september 14th i was on one of the first flights that flew out of the they, they let people fly that early geez i didn't realize it's friday the 14th uh on their fix my brother's birthday i uh i flew back to dallas and that was it i've lived now i've lived down south longer than i lived in, in the north and, Did and you, you, you never went back you you quit you know i i I spent a little bit of time in the corporate apartment with iHeart, um, you know, trying to inch back towards New York. And I guess at that time, six years ago, I really wasn't ready. Now I am. You know, now I have a three-year-old. I'm, my whole family's up there. I'd be fine. Being Times there. change a little bit. But, it will, but it's been a decade, right? I mean, it took... So it was something you literally, like, walked... I mean, kind of, like, walked away and was like, you know what? I'm just I'm starting a new life. Yeah, that's it. So... Uh, that was exactly what happened. So September 11th happens. It's the worst day in history for the United States of America from a terrorist you know, attack standpoint. And it ends up being one of the most transformative days ever for me because I decided instantly with what I had witnessed that um, investment banking wasn't for me. I, I loved what I was doing and loved all the learning that I had you know, experienced, but uh, it wasn't my passion. And so um, shortly after that, I left investment banking. Um, Shortly after that, I actually came out of the closet as a gay man because, again, you know, life's too short. Who cares? And uh, that was it. I moved down south and I got into sales And that sort of led me into this path of inside sales. Um, I got to go right to Atlanta uh, after Dallas and build out Earthlink Wireless's inside sales division. And then, you know, it sort of snowballed to lead me down this path today where, you know, if I'd been in investment banking, I would have been heavy in data and numbers, which is what I needed. And I still do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's like mathematician, right? I mean, you still got that in your background. But but I needed to connect with people. And that was yeah. my decision that day was, I'm going to do something that's going to enable me to connect with people. And um, inside sales really allowed me to do that, ironically, right? Because it's inside sales. It's yeah. Really- yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not as heavy people to people. Um, but I want to ask, I want to go back just to that moment, right? So... Because that sounds like that's the moment where the the switch kind of flipped on, right? You were like, "I'm going to be true to myself," you know, about my sexuality. You know, is one. Yeah. But number two, you know, I'm also going to be true to myself. Like, I don't want to be this investment banker. I don't want to. I want to do a different path. How did you feel like? Um, what what allowed you to do that? I mean, was it this of this was this crazy event that kind of forced you into that position? It just kind of awoke you to, I've got to be different. I need to live life more fully or what kind of flipped that, that switch at that point? It felt, it felt like a matter of respect. Like I was witnessing 
so much deteriorating around me that if I was going to be a part of something great coming out of that, that I needed to make decisions that were about living, not dying. Yeah. Just yeah. So much um, horrible, horrible, you know, experiences. And um, I, I wanted positive. I wanted yeah. something to come out of that. And so um, I, I just decided it wasn't, wasn't well thought out. I, I dealt with a lot of yelling at me, uh, you know, family members that were confused, uh, you know, JP Morgan, gosh, they, they, at first they tried to be very understanding counseling. They put me through, I, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I was on copious medication and they said, Oh, it's just that, you know, you want to be an investment banker. Don't worry about it. And we tried for a little bit, but um, ultimately I, one day I just went in and said, listen, I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm sorry. And I walked away. Wow. Damn, yeah. That's crazy. What would be, as you, as you think about others who, I mean, we got, especially in the inside sales space, right? People who are facing career decisions, um, not having kind of the background with such a serious incident as you had, but people make life decisions often, right? They, whether it's about them being true to themselves or their career or their family. How, do we, how would you coach someone through kind of making abrupt decisions as you did? Do you feel like there's lessons learned coming out of this? I do. And, and actually, you know, you're right. I, I would say my September 11th experience is unique, but I don't believe that it's dissimilar from experiences that everybody has in the sense that um, everybody has something, right? Everybody yeah. has a story. And it, it, if you ask and you seek and, and try to connect with people and get to know what their story is, and that's what really this is about for you yeah. and I, the transformative action is as I've been putting myself out there and sharing this story and being vulnerable, people are connecting to me in a new way. And so that's what I would say is it doesn't matter if you've dealt with you know, a divorce, a child custody case, a death of a loved one. Um, you know, nowadays, you, you probably know somebody that's been a victim of gun violence. I hate to say that, but that's true, right? It doesn't matter what it is, your story matters. And you just have to figure out about what about your story you're willing to share. Maybe push yourself a little bit further past what you think you're willing to share because if you really get open and really are vulnerable, um, it can transform your whole life, not just your career and your job. I mean, your entire life. Yeah, well, yeah. It's easier said than done, right? I mean, being able to recognize that and be able to act on it is different. How would you then take it one step further? I mean, you've now had, uh, you jumped into the inside sales space. You've been doing this for years and years and obviously a very you know powerful and successful career. What are a couple of the things for, that, that transferred over, you know, from that experience that changed the way you've done inside sales as an executive in that, in that role and position? Yeah. So first off is just have fun. Just remember, you know, as long as you're not actually in the pharmaceutical space or the hospital space, and not, you know, saving lives, then it is just inside sales. You know, yeah. you're dying, you know, so just enjoy yourself, just uh, calm down, relax. Right. That's sort of my first lesson. And then make sure you find that passion point because, you know, you can do inside sales in lots of different machinations, right? Um, you, you can do it like I've done in, in media and advertising. You can do telecom, wireless, um, but you better find out what you're passionate about because if you're not passionate about it, it's just not going to matter. You're just, you're literally wasting your life at that point. Yeah. And that's what I implore people not to do is, is not, don't do anything that's going to make you feel like a waste. And you can, and Gabe, you know this as well as I do. It's a feeling, right? It's intuition. It has nothing to do with data. It has nothing to do with black and white. It has everything to do with, you know, what is your brain and your heart telling you to do? Yeah, which is, I mean, more and more, it's just difficult. You know, the difference between kind of what you're thinking here and 
what you're feeling, um, you know, in your heart's a little bit difficult. And I just, you're right. It's funny without having that though, um, you know, you've had, and it's a blessing and a curse, right? But to have that perception change where you were able to say, you know what, I'm going to stop fearing death. I'm going to start living life. Um, you know, not everybody has that, but it's such great advice. The closer you can get to making life about decisions that bring you more happiness rather than always fearing the death or fearing sad. I think it's a great lesson for all of us, especially as we think about September 11th, the people who lost their lives, the tragedy that happened, and man, an insider story that just is fast. I can't, I feel like I've known, I've known Jim for a long time. I had no clue, man. Is that interesting? Yeah, I, I, um, you know, for the first five years after it happened, I really couldn't talk about it. Yeah, okay. I yeah. Talk about it. I, I fumbled and I would start crying. Now it's almost 20 years. I, I, all of our listeners too, I'm sure we can't even believe it's almost been 20 years. 20 years old. Um, but you know, generations, you know, amazing things have happened since then, good and bad. Um, and I think we're on the precipice of some really good stuff happening next. I think we've been, you know, mired down in some negativity for a little while and we're all sort of ready to break out of that and, and look forward to what's next. So, you know, just in leaving your listeners with one thing, what I'd say is in the moment of transformation, when you're terrified about what's next and when you're not sure what to do. Um, I hate to say the cliche of lean in, but, but that might be the best moment of your life. Do it. You know? run, get through it. Yeah. Don't run from it. Yeah. Don't run from it. Run towards it. I love it, man. All right. Well, Jim, um, really appreciate it. And I love the summary statement of the takeaways is the audience again, very important day. And I think Jim's right. It's not just a day of tragedy and sadness. It is a day of transformation. The nation changed. And with that change came some good stuff, but it also came, uh, you know, a lot of good stuff and people's lives were changed for the better and the worse. And, and that's sometimes the way the world works. So Jim, fun episode, a little bit different than we normally do. Really appreciate you, you opening up being vulnerable. That's such an important lesson in sales, authenticity, showing who you really are. I think people relate to that more than obviously just your product and future. So a lot of great lessons, a lot of great takeaways. If someone wants to get in touch with you, talk a little bit more, hear more of the story. What's the best way to do that? Yeah, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, you know, especially if we've been colleagues in the past looking for endorsements right now. Um, but just message me. I'd love to connect. Absolutely. Okay. Well, appreciate it. And for the audience, remember, success is just one play away. To learn more about this topic and many other sales secrets, come check out our resource center at resources.insidesales.com. Again, that's resources.insidesales.com. And thank you for listening to Sales Secrets with Gabe Larson.